Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, this is Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power uh, in Washington, D.C. And I'm joined, as always, uh, by Eric Eggers, Vice President of the Government Accountability Institute and author uh, of a terrific book on voter fraud. Today, we're going to be joined by uh, a man I would regard as the best young journalist in America today. Uh, and what I love about Luke Rosiak is that he is relentless, uh, but he backs up everything that he says. He's not reckless. He's relentless. And that's an important distinction. And we're going to take you to ground zero uh, of the battle that is taking place in America today over our schools. Uh, this wraps and ties with issues related to COVID, critical race theory. You have these horrific uh, sexual assaults that are to take place in Virginia. Eric, you've got school age kids. This is something that people are talking about all around the country. It's so amazing that you see this emerging, I think, trend. And it is this battle where schools seem to be more and more comfortable and more and more aggressive, assuming responsibility and assuming roles that typically parents were in charge of. And they're doing it without asking the parents if they want to be in charge of this. And so what I think Luke's been doing in his work on an upcoming book project and in his work on reporting on the things that are happening in his backyard in Virginia, I think, are an excellent local example of a large and very troubling national trend. That's right. It's a national story. And Luke is at the center of it. Uh, Luke is a, a government. Accountability Institute fellow. He's an investigative reporter with The Daily Wire, uh, author of a terrific book a couple of years ago called Obstruction of Justice. Uh, and he's got a book coming out March of next year. I would encourage everybody to pre-order that on Amazon. We're, gonna, we're not going to talk much about it uh, because he's going to be breaking news and we're going to save that. Uh, but what he has been doing uh, more recently is uh, doing some great reporting uh, from Virginia. And Luke, what I'd like you to do is first walk us through uh, the story that you have been on from the beginning involving these uh, terrible uh, sexual attacks and the attempts by school administrators to cover it up. Tell us the story and tell us why they so aggressively wanted to cover this up uh, and prevent the public from knowing that this was taking place. Sure. This is great to be with you guys. Um, so Loudoun County has gotten a lot of attention recently because of the ways that it's tried to uh, marginalize parents. And there's been sort of an entrenched faction of ideologues who have been very involved in local politics for years since, frankly, no one was really else paying attention to it. And they kind of started thinking of it as their own personal little fiefdom. And so they were pushing a variety of policies that 
really there wasn't much appetite for in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is a semi-rural county. It's not populated by crazies. It had mostly Republican leadership until recently. Um, One of the policies that they were pushing was like a transgender policy that would affect bathrooms and things like that in schools. Mm -hmm. And they would invite the public to to offer public comment because they're required to. But like one teacher spoke out against it. And so they suspended him. And he's like, this is a proposed policy. You asked for comment. I gave you my comment. You didn't like my opinion. So you suspended me. They suspended a teacher for speaking against the proposed policy. Yeah. And, you know, he won in court and I think the school system appealed it and then lost again. Um, So it's kind of like these obvious First (laughs) Amendment issues where it's like you guys are supposed to be the representatives that we elected. I mean, nominally, we elected you as our school board. But frankly, most people couldn't tell you who they voted for for school board if they voted at all. Um, So these are really low turnout elections. I wouldn't say the school board members have much of a mandate. And so there was a particular meeting on June 22nd that parents got really mad because they were talking about the transgender thing and they're doing a lot of racial stuff and they closed down the meeting. Um, they, they said, if you guys boo us one more time, we're going to shut down the meeting. And they did boo them because they were saying a lot of unpopular things. So they shut down the meeting. They declared it an unlawful assembly. And there was a guy there that was kind of like, you could see him exchanging words in a heated fashion with a woman. And the cops kind of put their hands on him. And they were worried that the whole thing was getting out of hand. And so they wound up arresting this guy. And it became a famous photo. It was played by the media around the clock, where you can kind of see this blue-collar guy being dragged away in handcuffs. And he's got a like a bloody face, because at one point the cops were kneeling on him while he was screaming, I can't breathe. Um So this guy became the face of what the National School Board Association called potential domestic terrorists. Um, It was the subject of enormous conversation around the role that parents should play in schools. And this is mostly in the liberal leaning media. And, um, you know, we found out something interesting this week through some great uh, FOIA requests by a group called Parents Defending Education that the White House had actually worked with the National School Boards Association to get it to write that letter. Which Amazing. then they cited to justify yeah. FBI interaction or you know, invol- involvement. Yeah. So and and just to, just to pause you for a second, Luke, because I think you said something that's I think really really important that these are low turnout elections, but they're even lower turnout historically meetings, right? Like the fact that everyone's showing up and weighing in and talking about these proposed policies, that's absolutely a COVID era phenomenon because that was not the case. And so I think what you've got is you've got these people who are used to no oversight and no accountability whatsoever. And I just think it's important to kind of think through like. That's how you, they've developed this mindset and headspace, right? Like where they can have this air of entitlement, an air of like, we're going to do what we want. And then so here comes parents starting to actively participate in the process. And rather than being welcomed, they work with the White House to have them labeled as potential domestic terrorists. Yeah, that's really well said. I mean, there, there really is an entitled attitude of like, are you guys nosy? Why are you coming to our meeting? Right. And it's Wait, like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so tell us a little bit. So you've got this, this powerful image of this man being dragged away. Tell us and explain to us who he is and why he was so agitated at this meeting. So that man is a man named Scott Smith, and he had never been to a school board meeting before, just like Eric said, most of us never have. Um, He had a particular incident happen just three weeks prior to his daughter, where his daughter was raped in a bathroom, Mm. and the the boy who did it to his 14-year-old daughter... Uh, whether or not this fact is relevant, it, he happened to be wearing a skirt. 
And so three weeks later, he shows up because they're talking about like a bathroom policy and all this transgender stuff. And he's like, my daughter was raped in, in school three weeks ago um, in a girl's bathroom. So now you're talking about a policy that would, you know, make it more ambiguous about who was allowed to be in what bathrooms. And right. we know that the school system really wanted to pass this policy. And so they're talking and this, you know, the parents are raising questions about could this cause put our girls in danger, et cetera. And so the superintendent says, we have no record of any bathroom assaults Mm. ever occurring in our school system. And his dad's just getting mad. And then the superintendent says, you know, it's a red herring. There's no such thing as a transgender predator. And I don't know why some in in the public here think there is. Mm. The dad is just getting more and more mad as they're lying and they're denying what he knows and what he knows they know happened to his daughter um and so they wind up you know he says that a a liberal activist said right in his face yeah i don't believe i don't believe your daughter and and, you know that's when the cops basically dragged him away and they gave him a they tried to put him in 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 jail they sought jail time for him even though it was a domestic disorderly conduct where you wouldn't normally go to jail for that and they gave him a restraining order which kept him from going to the next meeting where the the meet the transgender policy was officially passed and so if this dad's story had come out it's hard to imagine they would have passed this policy. Now, the issue is because the school system, and it's a little complicated because on one hand, they were prosecuting the kid and he was convicted on on Monday of this week. Um, but on the other hand, the school system, for its part, kind of ignored it, denied that it ever happened. And they transferred the kid to a new school where in oct- on October 6th, he was arrested for assaulting another girl in his in a classroom and so arguably because of the school systems you know it it, it, it's certainly arguable that the motive for the concealment here was the desire to pass the transgender policy and And look it's look it's really important i think one of the things you report that i found stunning is in that first attack may 28th you report that the principal of the school wanted the case handled quote unquote in-house in-house yeah Yeah, i mean because they have like this sro there the school resource officer and the principal and says scott smith is called to the school and told his daughter's been in a a physically assaulted in a bathroom not sexually but physically and so he shows up and there's like you know this basically this hall monitor with a badge there and like an assistant principal and a principal and they're just like the three of them kind of and he's like what the hell why why isn't there like detectives here why aren't there why isn't there an ambulance why why isn't there like a rape kit going on why is there no crime crime you know the yellow tape sealing off the crime scene uh nothing was going on they were handling it practically like you would handle like a fight and and so he gets really mad and and they actually call the cops on him and and so and the records show that sure enough the police came to respond to a report of an upset parent not to a rape that's Mm. the the team of you know officers who it turned out wound up escorting once they realized sure enough this is a real rape they escorted them to the hospital where a rape kit was administered and it did come back favorable to the the case the prosecution but you know if if the school would have handled it in-house i don't know you ever you would have seen a criminal conviction because it was important to get that physical evidence right in the first couple hours after this crime. 
So the, the details and the specifics of what you're reporting are obviously horrific, and it's the worst-case scenario. It's a nightmare for any parent, and I think it's incredibly troubling for other parents that conceive that this could happen in a school system. But it, I'd argue that the larger trend and, like, the, the themes that are developing are even more concerning, arguably, you know, because it's, it's bad to think that, hey, schools say they know better than parents, right? And that's like, hey, no, no, no. You think you don't want your kid to go to the bathroom with a transgender person. Well, we think it's actually not that bad, and maybe you're a bigot if you disagree. But it's worse when, as you described, the schools are now saying, I don't believe you that his child has been assaulted, right? So it's like one thing for them to say, we know more than you. It's another thing for them to say, I don't believe you. And I think that that's actually a trend that's played out across the country as people have debated about mask policy. They debate about schools and whether or not it's good for students to be in. So I think that that's the stakes at this, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, what is the role and what right do parents have to say and advocate for what's in the best interest of their children and whether or not schools can even you know, what? why aren't schools more obedient or kind of compliant to that? And I think this new story that you've reported on with Terry McAuliffe kind of speaks to, in some ways, how schools have developed this sense of entitlement and this arrogance because they now, these school boards, have a level of political affiliation and political power that I think makes them almost feel like they're above the law in some respect or certainly above reproach from parents, these little, you know, these people who have the lowly job of raising the actual children. Right. Um, what's the new story you have on Terry McAuliffe and then we'll kind of explore like how that speaks to this large and troubling merger between schools and political officials. Yeah, you're I mean, you're exactly right. That's the big picture here is, you know, you can take the skirt wearing out of it. What what matters about the other thing is um, school districts do not have the same incentives do not have the same motives and priorities as parents. They're discrete interest groups. Why would they want the same thing? Um, and so, you know, you've had Terry McAuliffe saying, well, I support parents because I support education, by which he means like the school systems. These right. are not the same. And, and this is really a blockbuster story that just came out. I think it's as important as the first one. Um, Terry McAuliffe, when he's making these statements about, you know, supporting teachers and, you know, parents shouldn't be telling schools what to what to teach. He worked until he ran for governor for a law firm called Hunton Andrews Kurth. Now, Hunton Andrews Kurth is a has been involved in being a lawyer for school districts for a long time, ever since its predecessor firm was on the wrong side of Brown versus Board. Um, Which is crazy to me, right? Like, how come that's not a story that Terry McAuliffe worked for the wrong side of Brown versus the Board of Education? (laughs) So, you know, they hired him in in 2019 and and Fairfax County Schools is the 10th largest school system in America. It's right next to Loudoun. Um, They were paying the firm like 500 grand a year until 2019 and then it, it really shot up to like five million dollars a year like a lot of money to this law firm and this law firm fights parents on behalf of the school system i mean it, it's the school system's lawyer it, it wages war on behalf of the school system but what does a school system do when it's in court it's usually because a parent has raised some issue or alleged some wrongdoing and in some cases, it, it often turns out it's because of situations similar to what we talked about in Loudoun, shocking crimes or alleged uh, misconduct by by young women. And so this is what the law firm is, is paid to do. Um, in one case, they sued 
the mother of a special needs student just last month for receiving a FOIA request. And she placed a FOIA request to Fairfax County Public Schools. They gave it to her. She paid $300 for it. And then they said, oh, we, we meant to redact more than we did. And they redacted a lot, by the way, but they, they, they changed their mind and said, we wanted to redact more. And so Hunton started sending its lawyers to this woman's house and they, they sued her. Um, and, and so they're like super aggressive. And, and so my big story is that uh, there are two incidents that are really significant around sexual assault and or alleged sexual misconduct in Fairfax County Public Schools, where Hunton is very aggressively yeah. um, pushing back against the young women, uh, yeah. advocating on behalf of the school administrators. And this is and this is uh, in the era of Me Too, where the presumption is generally that if somebody accuses someone of sexual assault, you need to take it very seriously. And what you're showing really is that the firm that has been paying Terry McAuliffe lots of money over the last several years, he's of counsel there, um, is has been aggressively going after the victims. Um, and this, to me, is part of the larger picture, the larger story. We've got people listening to the podcast don't necessarily have kids. That are school age, uh, although I don't, and I still think this is a profoundly interesting issue. But to me, it speaks to the larger uh, sense of what the political class really thinks. And a guy like Terry McAuliffe, who, as you said, came out and publicly proclaimed that parents should not be involved in determining what their kids learn, that Terry McAuliffe is being paid by this law firm that's going after their kids. Uh, is not really interested in the needs and the interests of people. They have a very elite view, which says that we, the experts and the professionals in the school system, are the ones that should be in charge. Now, I will note, I will note that Terry McAuliffe himself um, has uh, uh, children. Um, four of them, uh, when he lived in Virginia, uh, didn't actually go to public schools. They sent him to the Potomac School, uh, which is thirty thousand uh, dollars a. a a piece each. And it's been reported that the Potomac School has 17 separate PTA committees, uh, which seems to me that they seem to be very interested in the input of parents. And yet what Terry McAuliffe is telling the average person in Virginia is be quiet. You're not to be involved in your children's education. Is, is that an exaggeration, Luke? Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head. And that's been become the theme of this case in Virginia. And, you know, sometimes people hear about Loudoun County schools, and they think it's a Virginia problem. And I think, you know, Eric alluded to it very well. This is a national problem. It's everywhere. It's just that for a variety of reasons, including there being a lot of media in Northern Virginia, you tend to hear about those cases a lot. But what people need to do when they hear about these cases is think about the bigger picture themes and how that relates to their own schools. I, I want to clarify, just a minor factual note. Uh, Terry McAuliffe is not a lawyer, so he's not. Uh, he was not okay. of, of counsel uh, mm-hmm. at, at Hunton, but he was hired as a, a senior advisor in 2019, um, and that's when you know the same year we saw the the bills go up. Uh, but it, you know, and, and they did get hacked shortly after, so he he played a role there. Fairfax. <laughs> it's County such School's a good got- nugget you have in that article, Luke. It's a great. It's a great article. Peter Schwarzer wants to point out, as good as your article is, you don't have that little tidbit about the PTA at McAuliffe School District, right? It's like, yeah, Luke. He's a researcher. Did he come up with that? But but, it, but it's a it's a wonderful article, and I think that your point is like yeah. So the law firm hires McAuliffe to be a, an advisor on cybersecurity. They represent the school district, and then like a year later, they get hacked. <laughs> 
and they have to pay money. <laughs> like, how good is McAuliffe at this job? No. But, you know, the, the what they're you know the the facts of the the there, so there's two cases that I think are worth highlighting around sexual assault or uh, in Fairfax County Public Schools. The first is a horrific alleged gang rape in the school, mm-hmm. and this girl says that she was. Uh, this is a 12 year old in a middle school. She mm. was beaten, uh, held at knife point. She mm. was burned. Uh, she was, you know, uh, she came to the school system with these allegations and, and they did nothing. And over time, the conduct got worse to the point where, you know, it allegedly reached what I just described. And eventually, you know, the, apparently there was like a rape kit done and they did find evidence of sexual trauma to her. Um, but now it's like 10 years later, the woman has reached adulthood. She's now no longer a 12 year old. She's an adult who's filed lawsuit. And Terry McAuliffe's firm is really aggressively trying to throw it out of court mm. because she filed using a pseudonym. She filed mm. as Jane Doe because for obvious reasons. Yeah. And so they're arguing, you know, basically the rape victim should have been named. We've got to out this woman or she's got to, you know, throw out her case. And obviously they do it in a legal a procedural way, but that's the gist of it. It involves her anonymity. But um, there's all kinds of Title IX implications to that, right? I think the way you explore what it would impact on Title IX and victims' rights as part of that threshold, I thought was, was really fascinating. And I mean, you guys wouldn't do this because you're very responsible journalists, but it's not unfair to say that the law firm that represented white schools and Brown versus Board of Education is now actively working to weaken victims' rights in rape allegations, correct? Yeah, in in particular, in in a second case called Jane Doe. So that's first case is called BR versus Fairfax County. The second one is called Jane Doe versus Fairfax County. And that's a case where what actually allegedly happened to the girl is not that serious. But their Hunton is making legal arguments that would have profound implications on um, how Title IX is adjudicated. Um, in, In Loudoun County, going back to the first incident we discussed, you know, they covered it up. And then once really we got them dead to rights, they apologized. One of the school board members resigned. The superintendent admitted that he had failed to report on these state databases, the the sexual assaults. But then he kind of blamed Title IX in a sort of a vague way. Like we're going to lie. Title IX is not favorable enough to victims. We're going to lobby the federal government to change it. I, I took that as an allusion to Betsy DeVos and the Trump administration. I asked them specifically what was the problem with Title IX, and they didn't tell me. Um, <laughs> so it may have been kind of invoking partisanship to pass the buck. But yeah. regardless, Loudon's position is that that rape and the cover-up there, somehow Title IX being not favorable enough to victims was to blame. So yeah. Terry McAuliffe's former law firm, as well as the National School Boards Association, the group that called Scott Smith, a domestic terrorist, along yeah. with other parents, so they're working together, um, f- filing, you know, fighting this case, Jane Doe, where it's now at an appeals court. You know, Terry McAuliffe's firm has lost, and they're trying to appeal it all the way to the Supreme Court. What they're arguing is that basically, what's the standard where administrators assume some liability? And they're arguing um, basically for a subjective standard that would tilt the, make it so that. Title IX didn't kick in unless, except in very narrow situations. And so the gist of it is, even as Loudon is saying Title IX is not favorable enough to victims, McAuliffe's former law firm and the National School Board Association and the Virginia School Board Association are all pushing for the opposite. And here Terry McAuliffe is running for, for governor of Virginia. 
It's unbelievable. Well, it's it's terrific reporting that you've been doing, Luke. I would commend everybody, if you don't know who Luke Rosiak is, uh, you need to learn more. Uh, you're going to see a lot more reporting from him. Again, he's one of the few reporters out there who aggressively reports the facts. It's it's not punditry. It's not commentary. Uh, it's not that, uh, that sort of uh, lazy work, I would argue, that you see so many other places. So check out his reporting. Keep in mind that on these education issues. This is not about abstraction. This is not about theory. These are terrible instances that are occurring to these people, Eric. Well, they're terrible instances, but I'd also say, and this is something, you know, people have always said this is happening, but I feel like maybe it's because I'm older now and I have children in school, but I do feel like it's accelerating that education issues are becoming cultural issues. Exactly. I mean, in Tallahassee, where we live, we have a school that initiated a transgender identity plan with a middle school child without seeking the parents' permission first, right? And that's actually, there the, was their policy and there's some weaknesses in Florida law that allowed for it, but it just gets to, you know, when I was in middle school, they always told us. I can't imagine you in middle school, by the way. I was a very well-behaved middle yeah, schooler, bet, but they, they always said like, look, we're allowed to search your locker because it's like in loco parentis, right? Parents are absent, so we have certain rights we're able to do. And it just seems now that they're taking parent rights and they're doing things in a cultural way. They're, they're usurping yeah. more parents' rights. And I think that, I don't know how much you want to talk about, you know, your book that's not going to come out for a few months, but I know that you've been doing a lot of research on related themes. And I just think that's going to be one of the biggest and most important stories and trends that's happening in American society today. We will. We will be covering that more down the road. Uh, I would commend people again to pre-order Luke's book. We're not going to spoil anything by giving any tidbits now, but trust me, uh, you're going to want to pick up a copy of this book. Uh, Luke, thank you for your time. Thank you for your great reporting. I think it is fair to say that none of this would have come to light except for the fact that you have courageously and diligently reported it. Thank you for joining us and thank you to the audience to listening. Uh, If you're interested in our podcasts and listening to previous podcasts, you can find them on thedrilldown.com. Thanks for joining us.